So this semester, we've had this great opportunity um, where brave souls have come up to the front, and they have shared um, some of God's uh, work in their life, sharing part of their story, and uh, kind of um, highlighting how God works in our life. Because it's scary and intimidating to talk about um, our lives and the things that have happened to us, and uh, but it's beautiful when we begin to see God's work through them. The mask is over, friends. Okay. Um, and tonight, I thought that um, I would uh, do that. I would, I would share a little bit of my story with you, if that is okay. And what I want to do, I think because it's very uh, germane to this passage, is share um, an event from my life that's part of my story. It's a story of, uh, of God's grace in my life. And um, then we can look at this passage and see... Um, how they really connect. And uh, this story takes place in 2008, when you were just wee lads and lasses. And, uh, but I was engaged to be married, because I'm old. And um, uh, it was 2008, my uh, girlfriend, Sarah Jane, now my wife, and I had uh, just recently gotten engaged. And um, so we were in premarital counseling, as you do. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend everyone just go to counseling in general, regardless and uh, someone's nodding, and I did your premarital counseling, so that makes me feel very affirmed. Thank you, Abby. And, um, and uh, here's, here's what she, part of Sarah Jane and I's story is that Sarah Jane grew up, she was a very good girl, pastor's daughter, uh, had like barely even like kissed a boy, and uh, some of you guys know the story, but, uh, and I had a very different like sort of background in life, um, and uh, it's sort of, especially like in these sort of... <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say this. In the intimate realm of life, I had been uh, very active throughout uh, my, probably since, you know, middle school age. And uh, well, just, when, when I was, the summer between 7th and 8th grade was the first time that I had, like, lost my virginity. And I was the last person I knew that had, had not had sex yet. And so that was just kind of the world that I brought, that came up in. And uh, some of you guys are um, connected with that. But... Um, so we were engaged to get married, and we had these very different backgrounds. And our premarital counselor, I think, wisely goes, what you guys should do is you guys should sit down, and Chris, you should tell Sarah Jane this stuff, because since it's so, you guys have such different backgrounds, it's going to be very lingering in her mind. So this one afternoon, I sat down with Sarah Jane, and um, for about 45 minutes, just kind of went through everything I could think of. If you know me, like I'm very much like, if we're going to talk about it, like we're going to talk about all of it. And everything that I could remember, um, and uh, as we went along, it was like progressively harder and harder for her to hear because it got progressively like more and more recent. And um, and at the end of it, she was she was very upset and hurt. And uh, she she said she said you know um, like I'm not sure that like I still want to do this like that I still want to get married. And I was like cool <laughs> yeah man it's totally um, and. and um, I totally got it. Like it made sense to me um, why she why she felt that way, and and I didn't like hold it against her. I was like, if we don't get married, then you know you do dumb stuff, and you know sometimes it like screws you up later on down the road. And so um, she said, I just need some time. And so she took a day. I gave her space, and I was like, man, I wonder what's going to happen. The next day we got together again, and. Um, she said, I've been really thinking, and I've been thinking about all the stuff that you've done in your life, and thinking about why my life was different, and why I didn't do those things, and why I didn't engage in all the things that you had engaged in. And she said, and I realized 
it wasn't because I just like loved Jesus and just like wanted to believe what the Bible said about like sexuality. It was because like I knew girls like the girls that you were with, and I didn't want to be one of those girls. And she said it was it was really nice for me to be able to look at those girls and go, well, at least I'm not like them. And um, through tears, she said, you know, that's really that's really yucky. Like that's really dark and dirty. And um, she said, the reasons why you did the things you did and the reasons why I didn't do the things I, do, I did are equally sinful. And the only way that either one of us are going to get into this marriage clean is because of Jesus, or not at all. And she said, I'm willing to go into this marriage like clean in, in Jesus if you're willing to go and clean in Jesus. And um, she basically said, it's either Jesus for us or nothing. And that was really good news to me because what she did in that moment was she extended me grace, um, but she chose to live by grace. And she chose to say, what Jesus says about you and what he says about me is more important than the things that you've done, the things that I have done, haven't done. And it's just Jesus or nothing. And it was good news, honestly, that moment um, was what defined and set the tone for our relationship and for our marriage now. And um, tonight, as we look at this passage, um, the question before us is, what is necessary or fundamental to a relationship with God? Is it something that you do? Is it something like a doctrine that you believe? Is it a life you live? Is it, is it voting a certain way? Is it your record? Is it something that you feel? Um, At the very outset of the Christian church a couple thousand years ago, that question was just as central as it is now. How do you have a relationship with God, and what do you have to do in order to have a relationship with God? Really, is it about Jesus, or is it about something that we do? So let's read this text. It's from Acts chapter 15. Um. And what I want to do is I want to keep coming back a little bit to that story um, and, and sort of weaving it through as we look at this, this passage. But it's Acts chapter 15. These two guys, Paul and Barnabas, have just gone, these Jewish Christian guys, have just gone out on a missionary journey. And all these non-Jewish people had come to faith in Jesus. And they come back home. And we pick up in Acts 15 verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Also, most of the time when the New Testament says brothers, the word there means brothers and sisters. Just so you know. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they, they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. 
Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And then they continue to debate. A guy named James talks, and then we'll pick up in verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Farewell. Uh, Let me pray, and we'll uh, look at this text for a few minutes. Father, thank you um, for this place. We thank you for Appalachian. We thank you for all of its successes and its heartbreaks, knowing that you're at work in each of them. We thank you that you've brought us this far in this semester, Lord, more than halfway, and that you've been at work in our lives, uh, whether we recognize that or not. And we thank you that you love us and that you promise to be with us when we're together and we open your word. And so, Lord, we ask for your spirit to come and be with us, that we would see you that we would see Jesus, that we would be drawn to him and have new life by his grace, and we pray in his name. Amen. So there's this council, and um, they're talking about what is germane, what is fundamental to having a relationship with God. Because keep in mind to this point, pretty much everybody that was a Christian was also Jewish. They grew up Jewish, they were part of the Jewish religion, they were looking for the Jewish Messiah, the one that was going to come and fix the world. And Jesus was a Jew, and he was the Jewish Messiah that they believed in. Um, And now, lots of non-Jewish people are coming to faith in Jesus. And the question before them is a serious one, and it's, do you have to become Jewish and do all the Jewish stuff first in order to be a Christian? Do you have to keep the unique customs like Judaism, like for men to be circumcised as a sign of being part of the church? And as Paul and Barnabas, these missionaries, are going around and they're telling everyone about Jesus and they're inviting them to know Jesus, these people come behind them, these Christian, they're Christian people, and they come behind them and they say, yes, 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 you need Jesus, you've got to have Jesus if you want to be saved. But also you've got to do these other things. They're just part of the package. And so they call the church together to deal with it. And there's, there's, a, there's a lesson in there for us, that the church actually comes together. It's not something that is peripheral to your life, the church, if you're a Christian. The church is part of the lifeblood of the decision-making of the church. And this, the question is not whether non-Jewish people can become Christians. The question is, what do those people have to do to become Christians? Is a relationship with God just about Jesus, or is it Jesus and something else? And all I want to talk with you about tonight is two things about grace. And we're going to talk about what grace is. But grace is something that you receive. And grace is something that you give. And the first is grace is something that you receive. 
The apostle Peter stands up. Now, this is Peter who was very, very close with Jesus. He was about as Jewish as you could possibly get. And he stands up in this council. He has a lot of weight. And he says to the people, it's, uh, in, uh, starting in verse 7, he talks to them. And look what he says in, in verse 10. He says, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He says, these customs, these rules of Judaism have been a yoke on our neck like we're an animal, like we're an ox pulling a cart, and we have not been able to bear it. This rule-keeping, these outward customs, why are you going to put a yoke on these new Christians that we haven't been able to bear? And I love what he says in verse 11. He says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus as they will. What Peter is saying is this. A relationship with the living God, the one that created you, the one that will judge all the earth, a relationship with him is based solely upon the grace of Jesus. And in Christian circles, you hear the word grace a lot, and no one ever usually talks about what it actually is. What is grace? Grace, um, in some ways, is like trick-or-treating, sort of, like you go to somebody's house, and you just say trick-or-treat, and they give you candy, and you didn't pay for the candy, right? It's a beautiful thing, right? There's that Jerry Seinfeld stand-up, and he's like, do you remember the first time you ever heard about Halloween? He's like, he's, like, he's like, what is this? Who's giving out candy? Everyone we know is just giving out candy. What do, I, what do I have to do? How do I get part of this? I want to be part of this. I can wear that, you know, as a child. My, my mom dressed me up as a hobo five years in a row, and I didn't even know what a hobo was, nor how unbelievably offensive that was as a child. Um, but we lived in a trailer, and it's called being on a budget, friends. Um, but trick-or-treating is sort of like grace. You don't buy the candy. Someone just gives it to you, Right? You know, wages would be buying the candy. Grace is just getting the candy for free. And that's sort of what grace is. That's sort of a definition of grace. It's something that you get for free. Um, but it doesn't really capture the essence of what Jesus' grace, look, grace looks like. The other night, I was telling my daughters about a great prank where you, like, get dog poop and you put it in a paper bag, right? And then you put it on someone's doorstep because we were talking about doing it to Garrett. And you, and you, uh, but then we didn't know where to get dog poop from, and it seemed weird to put human feces in the bag. And, uh, you know, and then you light it on fire, and you ring the doorbell, and the person comes, and, like, they have to put the fire out, you know, but then they step in the poop, and my kids are just, like, mesmerized by this idea. And so my middle daughter just starts coming up with these extremely elaborate plans of, like, how to make this prank even better. And she goes on and on, and she tells me this prank, and so I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. So... You're going to get a baby diaper with poop in it, and you're going to sprinkle M&Ms on it, and then you're going to light it on fire, and a dog is going to approach the diaper, and it's going to eat the M&Ms, and then the dog is going to catch on fire, and then you ring the doorbell, and the person comes out, and they have a flaming diaper of poop and a dog on fire, and, and, and she was like, ugh, and the dog has its colors in its mouth. Like, you missed that part. You forgot that part. And I was like, okay, so all those things, plus the dog, like, has a multicolored, multicolored mouth. Um, now, imagine that she was able to pull this, this said prank off, and uh, which is a very elaborate prank for a five-year-old to pull off. And uh, imagine that the person opens the door. They have the, 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 the diaper full of poop. 
the dog with the M&M colored mouth that's also on fire. And like, instead of calling the police, which is what you should do, because that's like sociopath level uh, prank. That the person says, have all my candy. You know, their immediate response is like, I love you, please take all my candy. And they just begin to dump out. That is more in line with the grace of the Lord Jesus. Because not only is it something unearned, but it's something, a ridiculous response to someone offending you and doing something against you. Um, What is grace? Uh, Back to the story with Sarah Jane. Um, My, you know, the failures of my life, I didn't know Sarah Jane, obviously, at this point, but it doesn't mean that they weren't personal for her, right? Um... They were, they were very personal to her. They, they actually hurt Sarah. The reason why she was crying was not because she was, like, feeling it for me. The reason she was crying was because she was like, you're the person that, like, I want to be with forever in the way that you're talking about with all these other people. Like, it was very, it hurt her a lot. And, like, these weren't things that had this, like, way in the past, but then I got saved, and I got my stuff together, and I stopped living that. I mean, they were things that had even happened in the months leading up to my wife and I meeting. And the fact that she said, I still want to be with you, we both get in by Jesus, that is the grace that Jesus gives. Because God's response to our rejection of him, our rejection of him to the point where when God comes to be with us and he says, to know me is to know love, we say, I'm going to put you on a tree and kill you. That degree of rejection, when God gives us his riches and gives us new life, that's what grace looks like. And what receiving Sarah Jane's grace did for me is the same thing that receiving Jesus' grace will do for you. And that's, it gives you freedom, and it gives you confidence. I was totally free from that point on in our relationship because she knew everything about me. Like, there was nothing that I did not tell her that I could remember. And yet she still said, I will choose to be with you and choose to love you and choose to be close with you and be intimate with you. Because we're all terrified of someone knowing because we're afraid they won't love us. So then we only tell them part of it. So then when they love us, we don't believe them. Because we think that they don't really know us. We're terrified of being known because then we're afraid that we won't be loved. She knew me and she still loved me. And Jesus knows you completely all the way down. And he still loves you. And I had confidence because I knew, I knew that our relationship was not going to be defined by, how, by my performance morally. That I was free to fail and to try my hardest to love her and that she wasn't going to judge me based on my performance. And look, when you're alone and you're quiet in uh, Cannon Hall, you know, or in the Highlands or wherever it is that you live, you got the cool cabin, you know, and you're, you're about to be super pissed because you can't get in out of your driveway. Um, and thoughts are swirling around you as you lay on your bed at 11.30 p.m., and you just get, you're tired of scrolling Facebook or looking at memes. And you feel these thoughts in your head. And you feel attacked from the inside. And you can't stop thinking about things. And there are images that you've seen or you've experienced and they're in your head and you can't get them out. And you just can't make yourself feel better. The good news, because the word gospel means good news. The reason why it's good for you is because Jesus is enough for you in that moment. That you can go to Jesus and know, you know me, and you still promise me everything. You give me confidence because it's not about my performance in you. Because some of you guys perceive the church 
or Christian life as like, you got to get your stuff together first. Um, you can only vote this way. You can only eat certain chain chicken, you know. Um, you can only spend time with certain people. You have to know how to use words like encouraged, poured into, convicted, right? You can only listen to certain music. But the only hope that anybody in this room and anyone on this campus has of knowing God and being known by him is because of Jesus. New life with God is completely free, and it's offered to everyone in this room. New life, forever with God, no strings attached, and that's good news. And the second point, much more briefly than that, is that first that grace is something that you receive. Merely we receive what Jesus has done for us. Uh, Yesterday was the 500th anniversary of what's called the Protestant Reformation, and I'm not going to belabor this, but some people are like, what does the Reformed part of RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, mean? Basically what it means is the way that we answer the question, how do you have a relationship with God? How do I know that I'm right with God? How do I know that me and God can, can be close? Is because of what Jesus has done alone. That's what we had gotten sideways as a church, and we said, yeah, it's Jesus and plus these other things. And certain people came along and the Holy Spirit worked and said, no, 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 no. Those other things will gain you nothing. It's either just Jesus or nothing. And that's what the Reformation was all about. So that's what Reformed means in our name. We believe that our relationship with God is by grace alone, totally unearned. But grace isn't just something you get that you get that you receive. It's also something that you give. You may have noticed, I'm like, there's no strings attached. But at the end of this letter that they write, it's like, hey, by the way, don't, you know, strangle animals, <laughs> eat strangled animals. And uh, don't eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. Uh, no blood. Don't drink blood, please. Um, and, uh, and, and sexual immorality. Now, here's what that means. Gentile people, non-Jewish people, would most of the time have been involved in pagan religious rituals. And what that looked like often is going to a pagan temple, sacrificing an animal often by strangling it, Um, It sometimes looked like you or the priest drinking the blood of the sacrificial animal. Um, It looked like engaging in uh, temple prostitution, like ritual religious sex. Like you're like you're going to like you're going to sleep with this temple prostitute and it's going to bring like um, uh, fertility to your life and to your land. And for people from a Jewish background, they would have seen that and they would have gone. That is the absolute picture of hating God is going to this pagan religious ritual and like eating these sacrificed animals and uh, drinking blood and engaging in this sexual immorality. Um, For them, that would have just been synonymous with unbelief. It would have been so hard for that person to sit down with a person that did those things and be like, I want to love you, but I can't. And this letter that goes out to the non-Jewish Christians is simply asking them to live by grace. My wife, in that moment that she, she had that day to, to remember, she had received the grace of Jesus. She had known that Jesus had given her grace, that her relationship with God was defined by what Jesus had done alone. But she had an option of whether or not to live by that grace or not, to extend that grace to me or not. And this letter to these Gentile Christians says, you have received grace, I want you to live by grace. And here's what that means for them. Don't make it hard for your Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ to eat with you. Like, don't put a barrier between you and them. Don't use your grace as an opportunity to keep people away 
from you. For the Jewish Christians, the letter they're saying, don't put a barrier between these people and Jesus, like saying you've got to be circumcised, you've got to do all these things. And then to the Gentiles, they say, don't put a barrier between yourself and your fellow Christians by the way that you are living. Because grace removes barriers from people. Grace brings unity to people. I will treat you, grace says, like Jesus has treated me. That's what it means to live by grace. Because, look, grace is not a religious principle. It's not uh, a good idea. Grace is not a doctrine. Grace is the operating principle of the universe. If the universe ran on gas or fuel, grace would be that gas. It is how God deals with us. And we are the happiest and most fulfilled when we treat other people the way that God has treated us, when we live by grace. Free grace changes us to live by free grace with the people around us. Free grace frees you to extend grace, unearned, in the face of offense. This is what we're going to talk about tomorrow in the small group. Not to flaunt your grace to another brother or sister. Because you're free now. We think freedom means I get to do whatever I want. And that is so boring. (laughs) Getting what you want and just being able to do what you want all the time is so boring. Do you know what's beautiful? Is being free to give another person life. And to actually love another person. And care for them. And give light to their life. Because what Sarah Jane's grace did to me... God's grace through Sarah Jane to me is it didn't just set me free to do whatever I wanted. It didn't just set me free to run back to the old lovers. Um, It didn't set me free to just bring that stuff up and just treat it like it wasn't a big deal and just continually bring those things into her life and remind her of the past. On the contrary, it freed me, like really freed my heart to love her. And to give her new life. And to put those old things away because they're silly compared to what was, was right in front of me. I was free to put them away forever in an act of love. And uh, that, that's, that's part of my story um, of God's grace to my, in my life. And it's a story, like knowing Jesus, that continues to unfold and deepen and become more and more beautiful every day. And my question for you before we pray is have you received free grace? Um, Because if you receive it, it will set you free to love others and to give grace to others. Let's pray. Um, Our Father and our God, we thank you that we can call you our Father because of Jesus. We thank you that we can know new life because of Jesus. We thank you that we can turn from worthless things because of Jesus. We thank you that we can know life and health and peace because of Jesus. We thank you that we can see light in the darkness because of Jesus. We thank you that we don't have to be afraid because of Jesus. We thank you that we can have hope for the future because of Jesus. We thank you that we can look on our past and move on from it because of Jesus. We thank you that we can look forward to what you're going to do next month, next year, after graduation. We thank you that we can have freedom to be known and loved, not just by you, especially by you, but also by our neighbor. And we thank you that we can have confidence to live knowing that we will fail and knowing that you always will love us the same. 
And Lord, that is what it means to know Jesus. And I ask that you would help each of us here tonight um, to know him, to know his grace, and to experience freedom. And we pray in his name. Amen.